Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Yeah, everyone, welcome back to another Beyond Eight Figures. Please, if you're enjoying the show, go leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. We really can use as many reviews as possible. It helps us learn how better to create content for you, how we can improve, and also for other entrepreneurs to find the show. So please leave us a review. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. All right. Today, we're going to talk to someone I've known for a bit. We're both in the same um, business group called Dynamite Circle. Um, some of you may know them more from their podcast, The Tropical MBA. Really a great group and a great podcast at that too. So go give it a listen. But we're not promoting Tropical MBA today. Maybe we'll get them up. Neil Parekh is the CEO and founder of Made This Franchise. So we've talked about franchises before as investment class. We've even had some people talk about how they've used franchises. What I like about Neil is he has a background in private equity, investment banking, evaluating company valuations. She came about this from looking at the private equity space and then kind of going off and realizing he wanted to do something a little different. After rising through the things, he went off, joined this business group and saw sort of the rise of Airbnb. This was about six, seven years ago and seeing yeah, and Airbnb has been more than rising for, but realizing that there were some opportunities to create revenue and opportunity around their rise. So he started offering to clean other people's Airbnbs and developed it into a business and then quickly turned into a franchise. So it's going to be interesting to kind of talk about this. I think what's interesting, besides looking at his sort of remote lifestyle, remote you know, location-independent approach to business is really the focus on building his business around his lifestyle. What he wants for him in his life is the guide. Now, that kind of seems straightforward, but as I've known from my own experience and then talking with many other entrepreneurs, a lot of times we get caught into the concept that we need to do X. We must have this. We must grow at Y. And it's hard to fall to stop that when it's happening because too often everything we hear around us just talks about our need to do all these things. What Neil talks about is not an easy thing. He talks about being honest and consistently analyzing what his life needs are and what his life goals are and then aligning them with the company. And that takes work, especially as they are growing um, significantly. So one, pay attention to how Neil talks about building his lifestyle, sort of his needs in it. Two, the evaluating that his life goals, lifestyles, et cetera, against the needs of the company and then shaping the company's growth towards that. Really pretty interesting stuff. Then, you know, a little bit around how he's building his remote, you know, first company the talent, the types, where he has his talent and stuff is all there. And just, uh, He's a good guy. I think you're going to enjoy learning from Neil today. All right, everyone, let's go talk with Neil. 
Hey, Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been years since you and I have had a chance to chat, as I was telling the audience, since Bangkok in 18 at the Dynamite Circle event. But thank you so much for coming on the show. This is really great. What I loved was you were talking about how you were working. You had already started this. You were working on it. You were growing this. And now we're you know, four plus years since then. And I've been reading a little bit about you know how much you've grown it since. I would love to kind of talk about how you, where you see yourself as an entrepreneur and how you think the way you deal with things is changing now. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think I can answer that pretty directly because it's something I've been working on a lot this last year is just using leverage as a concept. And by leverage, I don't just mean money leverage, but leverage of people, leverage of systems. Because I think what I noticed is early in my entrepreneurial journey, you're doing everything, right? So you're the one creating the systems, you're the one growing. So I had a strong correlation with, hey, if I want to grow, that's going to depend a lot on my time and effort. And I'm starting to realize for the next level of entrepreneurship, I need to leverage wisely, meaning like maybe hire the right people or build the right systems or just like if I can't outsource anything, just do it. Making that mental shift from like the doer to the I wouldn't call it manager, but the, the one building, 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 come up with ideas, that's been an interesting shift for me and something I'm still working on. So that'd be the biggest change, I'd say. I love that concept. And I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs start to face. And they realize that that kind of like doing everything, as you mentioned, can only take them so far. So then I would love, how do you think, because you mentioned like, okay, figuring out if it's people, if it's you know, money, et cetera. How are you practicing your use of leverage? Like, how has it changed as you realized that you needed to kind of utilize more leverage to now? Like, what are you doing to kind of utilize leverage, I guess? A lot of the leverage, which goes the longest way, is people, is what I'm learning. And I think it's scary for anyone who's, you know, six figures, seven figures to say, hey, I'm going to make a hire, which is not, in my mind, like a, a remote team hire of someone in the Philippines. Like, you know, I'm going to make a real hire and do that. Or, offer real money to someone and it's terrifying. So I'm kind of in that boat of just mentally grasping that because I haven't had to do those expensive hires uh, ever, right? So now I'm kind of getting to the point where I need to find these people. I think the way to practice it is slowly, right? You do one thing which has leverage and then you kind of prove it to yourself that, yep, this is the way because I have devoted X number of hours, like a very minimal amount of hours. And I've gotten this amount of return that you look at in comparison to what you're doing historically to yield a certain amount of return. So for me, I just had to make myself more comfortable with it. Do small things saying, hey, that's an expensive agency to work with. I'm just going to test. I'm going to look at this as a monetary experiment. I have a budget here. I'm going to give them money. If it doesn't work, that's okay. And I'm completely fine losing the money and kind of keep going. So I guess as I say this age, part of the abundance mindset of, hey, you know, I just test it out. It's fine. Things will come to me. And the other part is making myself more comfortable by slowly and surely getting more and more leverage. So for example, like I think at the current moment, if, if you're going to say, hey, Neil, do you feel comfortable making $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 I'd say, no, I'm not comfortable there yet, right? I'm graduating to that point. But it's very hard to go from being a doer all the way to hiring someone very expensive for a role. So I feel like for most people, it needs to be a gradual step up. What I found really interesting about our long ago conversation was just sort of how you had kind of come in. I came to the Dynamite Circle, I think after having run my own agency to you know, multiple agencies over years. And I kind of had this very local mindset and it was like, oh, wow, great. Yeah. Pre-COVID, like, why am I hiring everything local? Why can't I do some of these 
Do you find that you're able to get the talent you need as made this franchise sort of keeps growing? And because you were mentioning like, oh, it's the money. But you know what I've seen somewhat is you can no longer get the amazing person $1,000 a month. It's like, okay, you know, great talent costs more than it did five years ago from a global perspective. But it's still not what you see in, you know, in the main European or and definitely the U.S. area. It's still that kind of like, you know, somewhere between 50 and 70 percent, depending upon the skill and everything. So when you say something like that, is that the money or is it like the complexity of that type of role where you're like, you know, I'm not quite there yet? For me, I think so. Let's break it down. Do you have remote or local, right? Um, and with a certain price range for remote, you're going to get a certain type of person. That's generally how it is, right? Let's say if you want to spend 1500 to 2000 that's a certain type of person. Less or more, just it varies, right? So you can get an extremely high level hire for relatively inexpensive compared to the cost of someone in the US, right? But the reality is some types of roles might be better if the person is local. So for my business... We do franchising and we do corporate expansion. So I'm debating corporate expansion out of state, in which case normally I would say, hey, let me hire someone offshore to manage it. And I'm thinking, you know what? Let me try out the model of hiring someone local who might have more feelers in the community and have that go a longer way. So if at all possible, I would always want to do remote because I do feel like you get maybe more bang for your buck. However, there's certain roles and things I want to do, which require local talent. And that inherently, because it's the United States, is going to cost more money. So I'd say it's probably the combination, but I, I don't feel like, at least on the remote level, there's a lack of talent or lack of finding talent, at least at the level I'm looking at. There's just so much talent. Everyone's gone remote, everyone in the world, meaning now these people can look for jobs elsewhere as opposed to their home country. So I actually feel the quality of candidates has gone up drastically. Now, the pay has gone up, but to your point, AJ, it's gone up from $1,000 to 1500 Right, it's it's not that big of a jump, so it's still very manageable for many uh, businesses in Europe or the U.S. I think a big thing that a lot of people are starting to see is that you're having like second and third waves of talent from working abroad on various projects, you know, on the Fivers, the Upworks, and all those other craziness. They've had that three, five, ten year experience working with American companies, and I know, like when I had my own company before I sold, it was like, oh, you know, there was that first like six months where it took them to even figure out how to do things. Then there was like, you could see with some people that year and a half, you know, like, oh, wait, boom, they just jumped. And then again at three, five. And I think you're starting to see that with a lot of international talent that's working remotely with American companies. They're, they're getting the structure, they're getting the process. But no, I think it's really cool because even as you were talking about leverage, you've talked about how you're balancing and that, you know, that's something that I see a lot takes experience to kind of like, oh, should I do that or should I not? So that was really kind of cool. What do you think has helped you the most? You know, what type of thought process, you know, book, coach, whatever it is, what do you think has helped the most in this journey you're taking as an entrepreneur? I would say probably combination. I mean, at least, as, at least with coaches and stuff, I've always used coaches, mentors. Uh, if it just feels like it helps me level up much faster. And also with the use of coaches and things like that, I it helps me get a view into other people who are doing it. So for example, I'm working with a mindset coach right now. 
And that person would say, hey, look, you're scared to make this step. Why don't you find examples in your life which prove that this actually works and that, you know, you can use leverage for high growth as opposed to just using your own energy. And as long as you start, you know, just that it's very simple. And I guess I haven't really thought about it in a formalized sense. But if you start looking around the world for examples of why leverage and taking that next step works. It's so obvious, right? And especially in your own circle, like we're both an entrepreneur group. And I think there's tons of examples of people who are able to use leverage and people effectively to scale their business without it sacrificing their time and energy. So just kind of coming to terms of, oh, that's a way that you can operate. And I think for me, I think the strongest correlation I had was, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this, is uh, high growth would be depend on my time, my energy, my stress. That's the only way to grow, right? Because at the beginning, when you start your business, it's all on you. You're the one pushing it. You're the one doing everything. So of course, your correlation is growth equals me time. So disassociating that takes a while. But the way to disassociate that is to just get further examples, test, try it out, and make sure, you know, ensure it works and get proof in your own mindset about it. And then kind of keep scaling that way. Um, AJ, you scaled a business yourself. What are your thoughts and how did you kind of get over that hump? <laughs> I got lucky is kind of what I say because I made almost every mistake. Now, I did a lot of things right, but in the end of the day, I did get lucky. When I had my company at its best was sort of in that, I like to say the three and a half million range, but we really had a system that was more built for two and a half. But still, that's like, okay, we were a little rickety and all that. But we were growing and then we kind of added another couple million and then the next year, another three. And it was like, bang, bang. And we didn't adjust fast enough. But like, I think a lot of what I find so interesting about how people grow businesses and how they go about doing it is you can make every mistake and get one or two things right and kind of accelerate quickly. Now you get more risky as I've experienced where things then kind of collapsed back and I had to slowly rebuild before I was able to sell, you know, sell it. Or basically the first person who came with a check, I was like, yes, thank you, please now. But I think there are better ways. Luck shouldn't be the determinant, you know, luck is very important, but doing things the right way in a directionally correct manner, I think is the best way to make sure luck happens. And though I realize how hard it is sometimes when you scale, like my case was we started doing really well and to the point where all of a sudden our very strength became what slowed us down. I moved resources around from sort of our inbound and our sales capability to our account capability. And I hired very good people, but I didn't hire our culture people. And it was very quickly as we were growing, all of a sudden, we weren't doing the type of work that we were known for. You know, we were doing good work and I had some pockets of amazing excellence, but we didn't have the consistency because I was chasing. You know, I had built a nice, consistent step, step, step. And then like a client jumped and I was like, instead of like, okay, well, we'll take our time and kind of get everything back up, I chased it. And so it was like, and that to me is why I love talking with people like you who have been working consistently and been building things to kind of learn more because I think it's so easy to kind of get lost in our own head. It's so easy to chase things. It's so easy. So I call it, you know, being more deliberate. You know, there's deliberate practice. I call it being a deliberate entrepreneur, like finding ways to be more deliberate in my efforts of being an entrepreneur. 
the things I need to work on, the practice, the measurement, the consistency, those things. That's the fun. But back to you, sir. <laughs> Don't interview me on my show. <laughs> <laughs> Flipping the script. Uh, AJ, to your point, I, I do find it interesting because like, entrepreneurship is fun in the way of like, there's no true playbook, right? Like a lot of things you do, let's say, you're playing sports. There's a playbook. There's things you do. You run plays. You get the ball in the basket. Like this is that's just how it is. And you win the game by doing X. In entrepreneurship, even the winning, there's no definition of winning that's universal. It's not whoever has the most points. It's not whoever has the most money. It's totally subjective. The way to get there is totally different. Every business is different. Every person is different. It's just like there's no set playbook of how to do it. So in the reality, in some ways, you can't do it wrong. I feel like there's some ways you could do it more right or but there, you can't do it completely wrong because it's so open. It, it just open to your own interpretation. Dude, you're a, you're a half full glass guy because you know what? This is one that, you know, why I'm also doing this. I always felt that very same thing. I never hit the goals I gave myself. Now, in hindsight, they were really, really good. You know, we did some really great stuff and even being able to sell for the mid seven figures is amazing. Just it wasn't what my expectations were at the time. Yes, there's a very small violin, everyone listening, I'm playing. But, you know, the reality is we set our goals. So I love how you, that optimism is amazing. And I like that because I think it's too easy for an entrepreneur to bang on themselves because all we do is try and get things done. And even when they're done, it just means there's new more things to be done. And to be able to look at it as like, okay, I'm doing this and I'm going on. That is pretty damn cool. I like that. Yeah. Running your own race, I would say, which is tough because like the whole purpose of business is to make money. So in theory, the logical conclusion would be to win the game, you get more money, right? Which is, is never ending race you're going to go down if that is the true definition of success. But you've realized this. I mean, after a while, it's like, yes, the more money is cool. But like, once you start being able to take care of the basics, and yes, there are prettier, shinier objects and things, the money becomes more of a scorekeeper and a tool to do new and hopefully higher value things. And hopefully not the bright, shiny object thing that I kind of fell into. And I think we know a lot of people, and I will not say names in the DC who do that. You know, you get some success and all of a sudden you can go bright, shiny. But the idea is, you know, you've gotten this nice level of success and you're building and growing. How do you kind of keep it so that you are focusing on where you're further taking the company instead of just falling in for FOMO? So AJ, just to make sure I understand, you're saying, how do I take the company to where I want to go as opposed to kind of what people are dictating? Which is tough, by the way, because I see other people in my same industry crushing it, right? And I'm like, well, what are those guys doing differently? Like, well, I should be doing that. Like, I don't really know their inside story or why they're doing it or their motivations. But of course, you get that FOMO, like you said. What are those guys doing? It causes a little bit of anxiety even. And by the way, I think it's universal. Everyone is going to have that for sure. Uh, for me, I think it's just understanding like I'm running my own race and I have my own goals. There's no, literally no point to compare people because everyone literally has different motivations. So for me, the ultimate would be, do I have the, the freedom to do whatever I want with both time and money and location freedom? 
Like just having the ability to do that is so rewarding for me that I would gladly take way less money just to have that, right? So now if I think about, let's say, leverage opportunities, I think about it in that way of, is this giving me my end goal? Yeah, it is. If I use a leverage property, for sure, it's giving my end goal. So therefore, I'm winning the race. What race? Just my race. Like there's, I'm not trying to compete against the other guy who's making way more, more and more money than me. So it's tough to remind yourself of that, right? Because obviously, you're in that network, you're in that community, you see other people doing it. Your business spits out cash and it's very easy to correlate success with the more of that thing that pops out, which is cash. But I, at the end of the day, it's AJ, like you said, there's like a small violin. If I know that hundred grand, what am I, my lifestyle doesn't change. Like nothing really happens, right? It's not like there's nothing big. There's just like a lot of the hierarchy of needs is met. Now I still want to grow. Love to have more money because that opens more opportunity, but it's, it's very much a want. It's not really a need. And I think just disassociating that and understanding nothing's really a need. Everything's just a want. If you want it, that's cool. But if you come at it from a neediness perspective, that's where, in my mind, I think things get tough. Things get very anxiety-driven, stressful-driven. Nothing really in life is a need. Yeah. How do you define what your race is and how do you make sure you are running it? You know, basically, how do you define your success as the entrepreneur, not what everything else is? How are you making sure you're running your own race? AJ, I wish I had the answer. I feel like that's like the secret answer to life and being content, right? It's just constantly knowing your race. I'll tell you how I'm trying to do it. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you what it is for me. It's just constant reminding myself of what feels in alignment or not. And uh, I'll, I'll define that a little bit. Um, if I get into a, uh, I'm calling it a race with someone else. Let's say uh, I have a, a cleaning franchise that's fully remote. I, there's someone else who has a remote cleaning company. They're crushing it. They're selling more franchises. They're doing all these different things. It'd be very easy for me to compare myself to that person. And oftentimes I do. I think everyone does. But then for me, it's kind of realizing, hey, that guy's trying to go to 100 franchises, kind of centering myself and say, do I want to go to 100 franchises? And think about that outside of fear, outside of like emotions and think, hey, what do I actually want? Like, oh, that's actually not what I want. So why would I be comparing myself to the guy whose goal that is? So it's tough because you're living in the matrix. You're trying to you're looking and comparing yourself to other people in your community, right? It's natural, but just kind of stepping back and reminding yourself of what your goals are internally and then saying, okay, I'm not going to compare myself to this person because that's my goal. Like, I don't want what that guy's doing. This didn't quite answer your question, AJ, but at the same time, I think it's an ever-evolving process. No, no, it does. I think it sets up sort of then the next because one of the things I realized, especially with the way I let my agency grow instead of how I was trying to set it up, we were in the sort of mode that we had to grow to kind of survive, which has its own issues and stuff. And I hear that from a lot of other business owners. Sometimes they feel like if they're not, you know, the shark motif, you know, the shark theme, it's like, if I'm not going forward, then we die. And to a certain degree, yes, you lose customers, you, you know, you churn, you know, depending on your business model, et cetera, things, if you're not constantly evolving and adapting, but I think, you know, as you were talking about, you know, bringing it to your own personal, I think it lends itself to harder work in the short term to kind of define how you keep your business alive with your personal environment. But I think longer term, you are going to end up being a lot happier and probably have a stronger business. So you were saying you're not quite sure how you are going about doing that, but does that resonate with you? you focusing on these kind of needs and then making sure the business fits that for you? I'd say without a doubt, 100%. And I, I, I feel like we talked about earlier, like there's no right way to do business, there's no wrong way to do business. In my mind, the right way to do business is figure out what type of lifestyle you want and make sure your business caters to that, right? Typical four-hour work week thing. But the reality is 
if you do that, you've won half the battle of your own game, right? Because you have a business model, which now suits what you want to do in life. So I do agree to some extent, like, I don't know, there's the old adage, like you said, if you're not growing, you're dying. I don't know if I agree with that in terms of revenue and cash growth. You can't just keep the same consistent thing you're doing, just evolve the processes, make sure your customers stay happy and stay at the size and scale you want and live a great life. So that's totally doable. And that could equal growth. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to keep growing and growing and growing. And that's a tough one to get around for entrepreneurs to saying, I have to keep growing, right? Uh, like I have to get to the next level. I have to get from one to two, two to five, five to 10. I have to hit eight figures. Why? Like you, you don't, you don't need to do that unless you really want to. It's funny. And that was the whole, you know, as I jokingly say, you know, the great guys who had the show before I bought this, you know, they were all so focused on what the money, like I literally, they, they would challenge guests around, you know, the dollar figure and they were great interviews and they had some great guests. But in the reality is, I think it's aspirational eight figures. Yes. And sometimes it's aspirational that you've gone way, way, way past it. But I have heard now there may be changing a little bit with this new economy and, you know, some of the fun that's going on. And, you know, we'll see how long this lasts. It could be a blip, in which case, you know, the races will be back on and the egos will be shown. But like a year ago, there were a bunch of people talking about like, if you're not eight figures or more, you're not running a bit, you know, you're not, a, you know, it's like, I don't know. I kind you know, so I like how you are about what is right for you and then building it out because yeah, true. I do feel like, like, for example, I still want to grow. Like I, I say, I sell the stuff at the same time. Hey, I still want to scale, but I, I, I want to come at it from a place where, Hey, based off of what I'm doing, we will grow to that size as opposed to I need to get there, right? I think it's a different approach of coming at your goal. Just saying I'm content with that as I am and I'm running my race, but yeah, let's go for eight figures. Let's see what happens, right? I think it's a different way of thinking about it. And AJ, I was, I was thinking about, I had a conversation with someone who's well into the eight figures, maybe nine figures of a business. And I forgot what we were talking about exactly, but he said a phrase which really stuck to me. He had tons of money and he said he bought his dream house in Spain. And he's like, right when I bought the house, I realized I won the game at life. If I lose all my money, I don't care because I've already won what I want to do, which is I fully own this house and I can't, that's not getting taken away. I can't lose that right now. So if the business goes kaput, I stopped doing what I'm doing. I've already won the game of my life. And I thought that was really cool because he realized the game he's playing and what he wants. He won it. And then the rest is just kind of like, in his mind, kind of play money. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it, but it made a lot of sense to me. I do think I know from my own experiences, sort of that like, oh, I have assets. And it's like, you know, I remember working, well, it was a while ago when I was working jobs and being like, they grow so small and so like, <laughs> they're like this. And then all of a sudden when you have a business, you know, it's not always. And sometimes they do go the other way and you have to put back in, but you have these opportunities for significant asset acquisition and et cetera, that I think is something that kind of like, I think that's on the good side of it. It gives a little bit of, okay, I can breathe. There are other things that maybe you don't, or I don't, I didn't, you know, and now I do practice to you know, be more appreciative and, and have more gratitude for those things. But I know early on, that was a very small thing and it was everything else, you know, that was driving me crazy. But yeah, that is a good point. I think he's right. It's like, okay, once you can figure out how you have your needs and your ability to just move on, then it's all just moving up the hierarchy of needs. It's like, okay, what cooler things can I do? I like that. That's cool. Yeah, you, know, you had said something earlier 
about how you were going back and kind of doing this. And I wanted to kind of dive into your process a bit, but why don't we look where you're hoping to go now, now that you have this, it's ongoing and the space is, is booming. I understand there are people with larger ones, whatever, but it's kind of still that rising tide, short, medium economic issues. The experience you facilitate, you know, this situation is kind of, looks like it's going to be stable, if not growing into everything. So then down the road, even further, where are you hoping to go? And what do you think you're going to have to do to kind of change, be able to do that? Yeah. So I like my business, I could talk about it. So we made this, we're, we're actually the first and only Airbnb cleaning franchise that exists. So there's no direct competitors on that round, but we also do residential cleaning as well. So my goal for scale is to get it to maybe 10 to 20 franchise locations and expand corporate locations as well. So that's kind of the goal. The typical playbook in like franchise world is always like, let's, you know, Silicon Valley, there's like, okay, you raised a series A, you raised a series B. There's a playbook. The playbook in franchises is you get to 50 locations and then maybe the best you get to 100 and exit a private equity. That's like the go-to. In my mind, if I'm looking at the game I want to play, I'm like, okay, I, I'd prefer to build like an awesome support system for franchises, know them intimately, help them expand the multiple locations themselves. Therefore, I'd rather work with 10 to 20 people, expand from there in territories as opposed to just getting a max number. So that was a, a conscious note of saying, hey, that's kind of where I want to cap it for now. Might get there and say, hey, I'm loving this. Let's kind of keep going from there. But in order to get to that, it's going to require more leverage, right? I still have my corporate assets, still want to expand corporate-wise. So my corporate locations, for the most part, they run by themselves. I, I don't need to be there. Now, if I look into the franchising part, it's a world I don't know about right? It's something that's pretty new to me. So if I think about how to get there, it's going to be and how to get there without it taking a crazy amount of my time. I need to rely on people who probably already know that world and have done a lot of things involved in that. So leveraging going back to like even people not part of my company agencies, for example, running YouTube ads, and I'm sure I could have someone on my team to go figure out themselves, but I just told them, hey, just go find someone who does YouTube ads. I understand they're gonna be expensive. Just do it. Let's get it going and move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. So building from a purpose of maximization of time, I think that's one way to look at it. And that's the way I'm looking at it right now. No, uh, that is really cool. And if you are looking, did you ever hear of the podcast Acquisitions Anonymous? Yeah, I have. They did a whole episode about a guy who does vacation rentals. He manages vacation rentals and he's in the outer bank, hopefully not losing houses because they just had a whole bunch of houses fall into the ocean, but they were talking about a couple of different vacation rental companies that were you know, for sale. But what is interesting, given they said one of the things that he does, and he would suggest to sort of, you buy in, you get it. So monetization is more the way to do it is to have your own cleaning service for that. And I could see something, you know, so yeah, I want to add it, but you know what? You made this has the whole process specifically, yes, it's Airbnb, but it's pretty damn close to 98, 99% the same as a vacation rental turnover. And it's like that type of franchise would go perfect for that type of business owner. It's like, let them add a little more margin to each turnover, each transaction. Homeowners get a little bit extra relaxation and all that. 
And yeah, they get a playbook from you. Sorry. I was just remembering, yeah, listening to that three weeks ago. It was a really good episode because, you know, immediately, uh, you know, here I am looking at professional services and I was like, ooh, vacation rentals. That would be a cool company. It's like, no, 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 no. Stick. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mention bright, shiny object syndrome, but I do think that's something, you know, I love the concept you're building because it does fit for other entrepreneurs, you know, it's not just franchise concept. It is the idea of like, okay, you have one business, this can help you bring it in without diluting as much your focus because you're bringing the structure and the concept to bear. Plus, it could be a good value add. Talk about leverage for those guys, right? Like those guys want to leverage instead of building a cleaning company from the ground up, leverage systems, right? That's exactly what this is. It's a great episode too. It's fun. Since I'm moving down to uh, Northern Virginia, they were talking about some area in the middle of Maryland that I had never heard of that's supposed to be such a great off the beaten path vacation area. And I'm like, okay, because I'm just used to all the super high, you know, it's like, I'm a New York guy. So Hamptons, Fire Island, maybe, you know, a little bit. So you got to find those better areas that aren't like booked two years in advance. Yep. Which has truly been insane the last couple of years in terms of vacation rentals. And I mean, talk about like where populations are going and travel and everything like that. Like, I feel like it's reversed now a little bit, but from what I'm seeing with the trends, for example, last year and the year before, the exodus from New York going to places like Maryland in the middle of nowhere has been incredible, like truly insane. And we're getting a lot of leads from franchises to say, hey, I random town, which was never a town before, now has exploded. I need an Airbnb cleaning service. Like It's crazy what's happened in the last couple of years for that. I mean, that's what's fun about watching things expand because it's like, okay, there's the direct, oh, okay, there's more people doing this, but then the knock-ons like opportunity for made this franchises. It's like, oh, okay. If this happens, then what other unintended consequent or unforeseen initial opportunities occur based upon that? It's fun for you and it's fun. Yeah. I enjoy I enjoy the conversation, but you get to live it. <laughs> Since we're talking about kind of bringing in, do you have more things that you would like to work on as your ability as an entrepreneur? A hundred percent. I think it's always an ever evolving thing with entrepreneurs to kind of level up. And at least for me, I think that's a great spot about being in a mastermind or community or coaches. You could start to see your blind spots and where your weakest at. So for me, I think the weakest part to work on right now would be around this delegation. You know, decent delegation getting much better, but I feel like to get to the next level, the people who are doing really, really well are master delegators. Like they're ruthless with delegation. They understand how it's done. So that's a skill and trait where I realized I need to level myself up in that area. So I think once I do that, and I feel like that's currently, I feel like that's the highest value of my time is learning that skill, leveling up on that skill. After that, I'm sure there's going to be something else. I don't quite know what it is because I think it's based off necessity of the company. Whatever company or your business you're running is going to demand certain things from you and whatever goals you have personally or with the business are going to demand different things. And that's going to require you picking up new skills, which I don't quite know what that will be once I get there. I just know to get to the level I want to go to, which is to grow, I'm going to need to really embrace delegation, leverage, and being able to build in a way which isn't really dependent only on my time and energy. So I'm trying to solve that. And once that's solved and I get to that level, there'll be a whole new set of things to learn. And AJ, maybe you could tell me what it is to learn at that point, but I, I have no idea. I'm just, I'm just trying to focus on the current next level. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what I like so much about what you're saying is you're doing that at a level that I really wish I had done earlier in my experience because I'm very lucky that I got to learn, but I do feel I got to learn 
on the wrong direction of things, not the direction I wanted to, but that's the whole point. You know, it's like, it's not so much if you're up or down, it's if you're still in the game and you're still moving along and being able to do things, you know, as you said, you know, being this entrepreneur, I didn't crash out yet. I still have chips. I love what you're doing. I think the only thing I could really say is like, as you look at it, you know, defining what those opportunities are that you would look for your transition points, you're talking about delegating, are there ways of, you know, since you and I have a lot of common structure, I mean, I'm, I don't know that you're a mastermind or your coaches, but I would assume you're doing the very basic of like, okay, if this leverage, if this opportunity of working on your delegation capabilities, how are you making it measurable, impactful, you know, and it could be smart, it could be hard, you know, all the different ways of talking about OKR structure doesn't matter which structure, just using a structure and like, what is the measurable structure of delegation for you? Is it X amount? Is it so you don't touch any X type of activity? That for me was the hardest part. I found that like I kept trying to put weird numbers or not real things to that measurement. If I actually talk about operate, you know, like what parts of the business do I touch, you know, from a delegation point of view and what parts can move without me whatsoever other, you know, even to the point of, oh, I get a report at the end of the month. Oh, sweet. Nice. That was the interesting. And, you know, then there's also the idea that you can go too far in this and that's the magic of figuring it out. Is there a part that you're delegating so you no longer have to touch? As you said, you don't work in your corporate ones. You're not involved in any. So what is the delegation an outcome? Is it an amount? Is it total tasks? Whatever that may be. That's, I think, the only thing off the top of my head. I mean, this is the fun. It's like, okay, usually I like to say, let's do this over whiskey, but it's like, okay, either, you know, the mastermind structure or whatever, but it's like, okay, I had these experiences and I know I had trouble until I made it real. But I think it's like the mission. It's like, why are you doing things? It's so easy to say, oh, I'm doing it because of X. And therefore, X needs to be blah, and therefore that my measure will be blah, 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 blah. And then you're kind of like, oh, it's not really what I'm doing. You know, okay, I guess it's that work into why the delegation is important. And therefore, you know, and I think you said it for the leverage, but what is the leverage and what's that constant and not answering it all at once because it's impossible. But that next step, like, okay. If, and I love how you say one thing, get it done, then do it again. One thing. I think that's so cool that you do. I think you're doing it already. I just, yeah, I would just push you on being, what is that? What is the delegation? Because your leverage concept is so cool. And it's like, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, simple and direct. And it's like, I always love it because I am so wordy in how I communicate. So when I hear someone say something and like that I've spent, five minutes talking about in like two sentences. I'm like, yeah, know your why or ask your why or what. Um, It's a really great concept, but the reality is it's a maybe a chapter (laughs) in total. (laughs) It's like, it's impactful and duh, smart and duh, 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 but okay, we got it. (laughs) I really love, you know, how far you're going and what you're doing. How can the audience check it out if they're interested in learning more about the franchise, you know, what you're doing, et cetera? 
Absolutely. So uh, you could go to made this franchise, M-A-I-D-T-H-I-S franchise.com. Um, contact me there, neilparek.com as well, if you just want to get a hold of me. So feel free to check it out if it's something you're interested or someone you know who's interested in the franchise concept. But even if you just want to reach out, feel free to do that. If you hit me on my personal website, uh, mentioned you came from AJ show, I will definitely respond to everyone. So feel free to get in touch. Cool. We'll make sure this is in our socials, in the show notes, in the email when we send this out. Yeah. Neil, I am... Really grateful for you coming on today. This has been great. And I have been marking clips because there's a lot of cool things you just said that I'm like, okay, I need to kind of think on these. And I think a lot of people in the audience, you bring an optimism that I love to this effort. So now this was great. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, AJ. That was fun. I just had a lot of fun talking with Neil. His optimism, his intelligence, his openness was great. I just love a couple of things he really kind of came about. His concept of leverage, it's something many of us talk about. It's in a lot of discussion around entrepreneurism, building your businesses, growing, etc. And I'm going to say, use this term a few times when I'm talking about Neil and his simplicity of how he's looking at it and then kind of why he's doing it and how he moved into it. Thinking of the different types of leverage, it's very easy as someone who has gone through these and thought about without, as I kind of jokingly said, I used like 20 words to basically articulate leverage to his one word. It's very easy for us to think of ways one at a time. I have in my efforts as an entrepreneur, I know I sometimes get caught like, okay, how can I delegate? How can I hire? How can, but one at a time, because everything else is just noise in my head. So therefore I have to fully shut everything else down and pick one where he's looking at the balance and the consistency of one of the other, not all at once, which was very smart, but Hey, one at a time, to whatever is going to provide the most leverage, not what is going to be the most leverage in this or the most leverage in that. Now, he does talk later on about working on his skill sets as a delegator to do that. And that's a little bit different because that's building his capability to doing something, not just focusing on one concept. So I like the give and take of that. I like once again, simple because I am pretty much, you know, a little bit like, so smart, so straightforward. Focusing on why he's doing these things and what he wants to get done from this is so impactful because as I've learned, and I've spoken with many of you, we all have these concepts, but they're noise and constantly refining them is work. And so it's sometimes, well, I'm just going to do what I need to do to grow. Right? I, I just need to do, okay, this, I'm, okay, what do we need to make more money? Or what do we need to get to X or to Y or you know, all those things? His process, his thought process of, okay, these are the things that are going to make me happy. These are going to make me feel as a better entrepreneur. So therefore, what do I need my business to do to match that? It sounds so simple, but it is, I think, more work in my own experience to do that cleanly than to kind of rush through it and then pay for it longer term. So yeah, maybe I'm a little about entrepreneurs who have that ability because to me, that is so much work. So seeing his kind of natural structure to it, and then that kind of just leads to the last bit. Overall, entrepreneurs tend to be very 
optimistic you know about themselves about you know the world that they're going to have this impact but what i found so nice about what he was talking about was he's optimistic about the concept of entrepreneurism that just felt amazing to hear someone talk about that i mean as someone who's constantly trying to learn to be better to become a better entrepreneur to deliberately practice my efforts I have spent a lot of time talking about how difficult it is and how much work it is early on and this and that and oh, and so to kind of look at it as, oh, you have this opportunity to do the things you want, to create the things you want, and that be it. Not the, and then also suffer because you never really did. But like, ah, that optimism is something I'm going to, you know, I, I will probably pull the clip out and just have that on repeat. Just so I can like, okay, all right, it's one of those days. Oh, yes, I can create the thing. Neil, thank you. That was so cool. And it's, yeah, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs need to hear that more often. It's like, yeah, this is freaking amazing what we get to do because we get to create the things we want to create. So what? There's other stuff. It's the good stuff that is so important here. So please go check out Neil's site. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. We'll make sure it's in the emails and the socials. And definitely, if you've ever thought about a franchise and you're in sort of the Airbnb community or vacation rentals, as we kind of were joking about, go check out his franchise. You know, madethisfranchise.com, really good. And, you know, I know from other people that are having great experiences. And Neil's just also shown from the amount of time he's been here and the amount of effort he's put over the years that he's trying to build something that it's not just about his own success. You will experience the benefit of his own hard work as a franchisee owner if that is an interest of you. So please go check it out if it's of any interest. I think you do really well. All right. And as always, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate you spending the time. If you enjoyed it, or if you didn't, please leave us a review. It would be wonderful. Go check out the site, beyond8figures.com, and uh, sign up for the newsletter. So that way, every time we have another episode or something cool coming down the road, you'll be the first to know about it. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond A Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.